It is a very good Sunday morning, church, and I just wanted to take a moment to officially welcome you to my, to our favorite Sunday of the year, a.k.a. the Sunday that we all got an extra hour of sleep. Come on, somebody. You can talk about Easter and Christmas all you want to, but look at this energy, look at this engagement. I'm all about that extra hour of sleep Sunday life. And it is so good to have you. My name is Jason Bentley. I serve as the lead pastor. And it is such a joy to have you here today. A beautiful Sunday. It's been a beautiful week. And now that we're in God's presence together, we can see so clearly God's goodness, his grace, his blessings in our life. So welcome, especially to those of you who are VIPs, you might be visiting with us for the first, second, or third time. Our prayer is that today just really supercharges your faith and that you go out of here inspired and encouraged, knowing that God's got a great plan and a purpose for your life. And I also hope that you will take advantage of a free resource that we've made available. We have an, an app that you can download and some ways that you can do that are coming up on the screen. I, I will encourage you to get the Waterview app. It's totally free, and there's a couple of reasons why. You can stay informed about some different things that we have coming up. For example, on Sunday, November the 19th, we have Child Dedication Weekend. And then on Sunday, November the 26th, because it being Thanksgiving weekend, we are not going to be having an in-person gathering. We'll, we'll not be gathering for church. All that and more you can find in our app, as well as we have a digital worship guide there. And all of the, the message notes are there each and every week, as long as upcoming events. You can follow along with us. And so we've been, for the last few weeks, doing a series called... Can I have your attention, please? And we have been making the case that God is always trying to get our attention. He loves us. He's got a plan and a purpose for our life. He wants us to flourish. He wants us to live fulfilled. And therefore, he is always trying to get our attention. The Bible teaches us that in the world that we are living in, there are all kinds of voices there are all kinds of noises. There are all kinds of distractions. And it is important for the voice of God to speak and to communicate to us through all of that. And so I just feel like the Holy Spirit is saying to me and is saying to us, hey, can I have your attention, please? So much happening in our world. He is saying, can I have your attention? attention, please. And today we're wrapping up that series with what I think could be one of, if not the most important message that I've ever shared here at Waterview over the last two and a half years that we've been in existence and maybe over the course of my entire pastoral ministry. Because if you are sincere about wanting to be close to God and follow after him and do all that is in his heart for you to do, then We've got to learn about what we're going to be talking about here today. So go with me in your Bibles or your smartphones, your tablets to Daniel chapter number four. Daniel chapter number four is where we're going to be reading. I'm going to be talking for the next few moments on the subject, God's ways of getting your attention. 
God's ways of getting your attention. We've talked that God wants our attention. Now let's look at God's ways of getting our attention. Daniel chapter number four, it reads, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity. But one night I had a dream that frightened me. I saw visions that terrified me as I lay in my bed. Belteshazzar, everyone say Daniel. Belteshazzar, a.k.a. Daniel, a name that you're probably more familiar with, the book, in fact, that we're reading from. Belteshazzar, that was the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now tell me what it means, for none of the wise men of my kingdom can do so. But you can tell me because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. And Daniel responds, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what's right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. Twelve months later, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. And as he looked out across the city, King Nebuchadnezzar said, Look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. That same hour, the judgment was fulfilled and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow. He was drenched with the dew of heaven and he lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. And when my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. And we're obviously skipping around, but we're going to go back and revisit this. Nebuchadnezzar is speaking. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glory and honor the king of heaven. All of his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. You know, friends, if we are going to spend any time at all talking about God getting our attention, we have to look at and we have to talk about the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. If you were here last week, we actually focused on Daniel chapter number five and Nebuchadnezzar's successor. But if we're, if we're going to spend any time at all in a series talking about God's ways of getting our attention, we've got to hang out a little bit with King Neb, or can I call him King Nebi? Are we there yet? I just think it's a little easier than saying Nebuchadnezzar 77 times over the course of our time together. we got to talk about King Neb. Because when you look here in Daniel chapter number 4, there's this amazing narrative that plays out of a man that is completely detached from the things of God, completely impervious to the, the moving of God, 
just completely blinded by his own agenda and his own ambitions. He goes from that to by the time you reach the end of the chapter, he is declaring praise, glory, and honor to the king of heaven. All of his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. God clearly got a man's attention who was as far away from him as possible. And in what we read in Daniel chapter number four, we see why. We see very clearly why. Because today I don't want us to just look at what. I want us to look at why God had to get his attention. And so we read what we did. And as I, as I think about the why and the what, as I think about all of it, I'll just say that it is amazing to me the great links that God will go to in order for his people to be saved. It is amazing how good our God really is. It's amazing the great links that God will go to in order to bring us to the place where we are fully alive, where we are flourishing, and where we are living fulfilled. Do you know here today that more than anything else in this world, God wants us to be in right standing with him? God is wanting us to be happy. He is wanting us to be healthy. He is wanting us to be whole. He is wanting us to be productive. He is wanting us to make our lives matter. Religion may have put in your heart and in your mind that God is against you and that God is always angry with you and, and that you've got to dot all your I's and cross all your T's just to make sure that you remain in favor with him. But today, again, I just want to point out to you how good our God is and I want you to see that God will do whatever it takes so that you are close to him and so that you're making your life matter. God wants more than anything else that we're close with him and that we're enjoying the relationship that he intended for us to have. And we see this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 9. I love this verse. It says this, this means that contrary to man's perspective, contrary to what religion tries to tell you, the Lord is not late with his promise to return as some measure lateness, but rather, and it's talking here about the second coming of Jesus. And I know that right now, because of things happening in the world, everyone's talking about, are we in the end times? And is Jesus really coming back? And, you know, for the last 2,000 plus years, we've been looking at things in the news, playing out on the world stage, asking that very same question. And some say, yes, the Lord comes and he comes quickly. And others mock and scoff and say, well, you've been saying that forever. Is it really going to happen? And Peter says here, that the Lord is, is not late with his promise to return as some are measuring lateness, 
but rather his delay. And this is really clear and powerful and may address some of the questions that you may have right now about what's happening in the world. Why has Jesus not yet returned? Is it going to be happening today or tomorrow? Peter says his delay simply reveals his loving patience towards you and towards me because he does not want any to perish, but that all will come to repentance. So again, it is amazing the links that God will go to, even delay his return in order for us to be in right standing with him, in order for his church, his family to add another, to expand and enlarge. God wants to be close to us. And God wants us to be saved so much that he will give or he will take away whatever is necessary in our life to achieve that purpose. That said, God's grace, hear me today, God's grace is so actively chasing us and the Holy Spirit is so actively moving that if you want to reject God or if you want to be far from him, you must be really committed to do it. Because King Nebuchadnezzar was as far down that wild and disconnected path from God as you could possibly be. And yet God moves heaven and earth, does multiple things to get his attention. He's not just sending a discreet text message. He's doing multiple things to get a pagan king's attention. And God will do a number of things in each of our lives to get our attention. In fact, it kind of is progressive. And we'll see in a moment how God kind of ratchets up what he does in order to get our attention. And it may not require all five things in order for us to turn our hearts and to turn our attention back to him. I, I pray that at like, the first one, or at least the second, you respond. But there's some of us that are kind of hard-headed. If you're like me, it might take five, like Nebuchadnezzar, or he may need to come up with an additional seven just to get my attention, but he'll do whatever it takes. But first, let's just take a moment and see why God needed to go to the lengths that he did to grab King Nebi's attention. What exactly was the king doing? What was he not doing? And there's three key verses, I think, in this narrative that kind of highlights where King Neb was at this time, kind of where in his life. And man, as I was reading through it, I see some eerie similarities with some of the things that I'm wrestling with, and I would imagine you are as well. But this is what I want you to notice. It's not just about actions. It's not just about the things that we do. I want you to, as we read through these three verses, I want you to think about not just his actions, but I want you to think about his attitude. And I want you to think about his heart posture, just his, just his overall 
attitude and just the way that he approached life and the things that really matter. The four verses are verse 4, verse 27, and verse number 30. And it reads like this. And just kind of listen to both actions and attitudes and heart posture. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace in comfort and in prosperity. At first glance, that doesn't sound too bad, right? Like, hashtag goals. Like, that's what I want, right? That's the American dream. Hashtag, let's go. Let's do this. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity. And then Daniel comes along and is like, King Neb, please accept my advice. Stop sinning. Do what's right. Break from your wicked past. Be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you'll continue to prosper. I must have fallen on deaf ears because in verse number 30, as King Neb looks out across the city, he says, look at this great city of Babylon. Look at my world. Look at my kingdom. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city. Yeah, baby, take a look at what I've done. Man, I am so smart. And I am so hardworking. And I am so savvy and I am so industrious and I've just got it so together. Look at this great city of Babylon by my own mighty power. I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. And we see here very clearly some actions, some attitudes, some heart posture that then necessitates God showing up and saying, it's time for me to step in. It's time for me to get your attention. It's really weird, but this is what I would like to submit to you today. And I would like to contend that the same thought process and attitude and musings and heart posture that we read here in Daniel chapter number four in the king of Babylon are the exact same ones that you and I deal with here in the United States of America, November the 5th, 2023. The exact same ones. For example, this is, this is what the scripture is teaching us. Based on what we clearly read here, and this is going to be hard, hard for some of us to swallow. It certainly was for me. But do you know that your success, your individual success, your success and your personal comfort is one of the greatest obstacles that you will face and maintaining a heart after God. Now, does that mean that God wants us to be impoverished, that God wants us to fail? No. However, we can become so successful and so wrapped up in the American dream and the pursuit of things and stuff 
that it'll be one of the greatest obstacles that we will face in maintaining a heart after God. Another thing that we see here, the reason why God had to step in like this, do you see all the times that Nebi referred my, I, me? Well, a self-focused life where you're focused on your own self-interests are going to always put you at odds with the will and the heart of God. Because the Bible says that Jesus, the God of heaven and earth, the King of glory, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, Jesus, God in flesh, when he came, he did not come looking after himself. He did not come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life for others. Daniel, we read in, in, in that passage explaining to us why Nebuchadnezzar needed God to get his attention. Daniel says this. He says, you need to start being merciful to the poor and then maybe you will continue to prosper. What does this teach us? This teaches us that not being generous, that not being generous with our time or our affections or our monies or our gestures, not being generous is going to close us off from the true blessing of God. It was God's heart that Nebi prosper. But he said, you've got to start being more concerned about the poor. You've got to start being more concerned about, about those who are not as blessed as you. You've got to start being more generous, Nebi, and then maybe you will really prosper. And then, then last, what this teaches us is this, and we see this over and over again in the way that he talked and felt and thought. This teaches us that our pride, our pride and our self-reliance is going to ultimately set us up for failure. I want you to notice King Nebuchadnezzar wasn't out molesting children and wasn't out being a serial killer in order for God to say, look, I got to do whatever it takes to get your attention. Nebuchadnezzar was just all about himself. Nebuchadnezzar was just about his own success. He was only looking after his own self-interests. Like he was just pursuing the dream of building a kingdom, making it all about himself. But yet that is what got God to say, look, that's not my will or plan for your life, so I'm going to get involved. So what exactly does God do? Number one, in verse number five, God comes along and he gives King Nebi a dream and a vision. And this is what this teaches us. God's first attempt to get your attention is going to be gentle. When God showed up in Nebi's life, he gave him a dream. He, there, there was not a, a, a horde of heavily armed angels that just showed up one night in his bedroom banging on the walls. He didn't have, you know, some, 
some close friend or something of, of Nebi's go, go through some horrific event. No, the, the first attempt of getting his attention was very gentle. And that's why we, we've got to not be so self-absorbed because God is going to always be trying to gently get your attention. Do you know that Jesus is a gentleman? Jesus says, look, I'm going to stand at the door of your life. I'm going to stand at the door of your heart, and I'm going to knock. I'm not going to kick in your door. I'm not going to strike you with a lightning bolt. I'm not going to open up a hole in the ground and swallow you up. Very gentle. Might be something that you read as you're reading your Bible. Might be something that you see as you're driving around or just some odd coincidences that seem to just all fall into place. It's like, hmm, you ever, you ever experience anything like that? It's like, that's kind of weird. I, I, I think there's something more happening here than what I realize. It's God's first attempt at getting your attention, just trying to be gentle, trying to be a gentleman. Just trying to say, "Yoo-hoo, Nevi, Jason, over here. Like you're out of control, buddy. Come on. And then we see in verse number 18, God put Daniel into the king's life. And this was a very strategic relationship. Because Daniel was a man of God. Daniel was a prophet. And so the second thing that you need to know here, to use some kind of spiritual authority to speak into your life. The reason why godly friendships are so important. The reason why godly parents are so valuable. The reason why pastors are crucial to, to have in our life. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul kind of talks about the value of this spiritual authority. Ephesians 4, Paul says, Now these are the gifts. These are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. And why are they gifts? Why, why is this God's gift to your life. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. And this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. God has a, an authority structure. God has a way in which he he gets our attention and speaks into our life. Now, there, there are a lot of people, I'm sure, in your world that would love to just tell you like it is. And there are some of you in here that you're always itching to be able to just tell it like it is. But what's important is to hear something that comes from God's established authority. God didn't speak to Nebuchadnezzar these heart things, these you need to turn and transform kind of messages. He didn't just use anybody for that. He placed 
a prophet. He, he placed a man that was close to the heart of God, Daniel, and Daniel was there to communicate truth in love. Authority approaches people that are even kind of a little bit out of control, that like Nebi were just wild in and out. When, when Daniel is placed in Nebuchadnezzar's life, you would think by studying the attitude of some Christians in today's day and age that Daniel would, would have been like, all right, here I am, here's my chance. King, let me tell you like it is, buddy. You're not going to like it. You need the hard truth. And I'm not even going to give you a spoonful of sugar to help this medicine go down. You ready for it? But that's not, that's not how Daniel approached it. Here's Daniel, a part of God's authority structure, a prophet of God, a man of God. And Daniel says to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Please. Please accept my advice. It was, it was not arrogant. It was not hard. It was not mean-spirited. Please accept my advice. Stop sinning. Do what's right. Break from your wicked path. Be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you'll continue to prosper. Like, look, we're in your corner, Nebuchadnezzar. We want you to succeed. Just, just hear my advice. So that's the second way that God's going to get your attention. He's going to use a pastor. He's going to use some spiritual authority that comes along, and you're going to hear something in a message. You're going to hear something in a podcast. You're going to read something in a book. There's going to be some kind of interaction that you have with somebody, and it's going to be God saying, okay, it's time for you to look up here. It's time for you to get your eyes and attention on me. And then in verse number 29, we see the third attempt. You see, in verse number 29, the Bible says that for 12 months, so God was gentle, and then God sent a pastor, and then God waited for 12 months for King Nebi to do something. God's third attempt, if you're taking notes, write this down. God's third attempt to get your attention will be to give you and I time and opportunity to turn things around. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He gives us time. In fact, it says this in Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 21. Jesus is speaking here. And he's actually speaking about a very wicked person. And this is what he says. Notice. I gave her time and space to repent. But she does not want to turn away. But look, if Jesus is going to give time and space for us to get our attention on him and to turn things around, if he's going to do all that for a wicked, wicked wicked person, what makes you think that he's going to be trying to like fast track and accelerate you or even the people around you? But God is so good. And his third attempt to get our attention is going to be, look, 
I was gentle with you. I, I, I gave you some signs. I, I gave you some verses. I spoke to your heart. A, a pastor talked to you. And then now I'm going to just wait. I'm going to wait and see how it goes. And then in verse number 33, it starts getting a little bit crazy. The Bible says that King Nebi went utterly insane. He's a king presiding over the world power at the time, and he leaves the palace, and he's got obviously a palace with a penthouse because he's looking out over the whole city saying how amazing it is. He runs out into the woods, and he lives like an animal, literally. doesn't cut his hair. His hair grows so long it's like feathers. His nails grow long. It's like claws. He's he, he's covered in dew, which means he's just sleeping naked on the ground, foraging for food like he goes utterly crazy. Went from normal to crazy, just like that. You see, God's fourth attempt to get our attention is going to be to humble us. To humble us. We're not, we're not talking about judgment. We're talking about humility. We're not talking about punishment. We're talking about correction. Look at, look at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 5. This is what, what the scripture says. Don't underestimate the value of the discipline and training of the Lord God or get depressed when he has to correct you. For the Lord's training of your life is the evidence of what? His faithful love. And when he draws you to himself, it proves that you are his delightful child. Fully embrace God's correction as part of your training. For he is doing what any loving father does for his children. For who has ever heard of a child who never had to be corrected? We all should welcome God's discipline as the validation of authentic sonship. For if we have never once endured his correction, it only proves we are strangers and not sons. And isn't it true that we respect our earthly fathers even though they corrected and disciplined us? Then we should demonstrate an even greater respect for God, our spiritual father, as we submit to his life-giving discipline. Our parents corrected us for the short time of our childhood as it seemed good to them, but God corrects us throughout our lives. Now, all discipline seems to be painful at the time, yet later it will produce a transformation of character, bringing a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who yield to it. So the fourth thing that God does to get our attention is he will humble us. He'll correct us. However we want to interpret that, that's what God will do because he loves us that much. And then finally, verse number 36. Verse number 36 shows us that King Nebuchadnezzar was restored. And here's the good news. God's final attempt to get our attention is going to be to restore us, to reconcile us. To bring, us, to bring us back from that, that place where we were humbled or corrected and restore us. And, and we'll be better than we have ever been. 
Our outlook will be better than it's ever been. Our attitude, our behavior, all of it will be more like Jesus because that's the reason why God's trying to get our attention. He's trying to make us more like Jesus. He's going to restore us. And I love this verse as our musicians come. Romans chapter 2 and verse number 4. Look at this. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that it is his kindness that is intended to turn you from your sin? God's good. And his goodness brings us to a place where we say, you know what? I've been self-absorbed. I've been all about me. I've been prideful. I've been self-reliant. And I'm not going to be that guy anymore. I'm not going to be stingy and greedy any longer. I'm not going to... I'm not going to only serve my own interests. I'm going to serve Jesus. I'm going to serve others. I'm going to be what he's wanting me to be. God's like, yeah, yeah. And, And more blessing, more flourishing, more fulfillment is brought back into our life. But then finally, as we stand together, notice, notice King Nebi's response. Notice how he responds after all of these attempts to get his attention. When God finally did, King Neb surrenders. He surrenders. He just says, you know what? It's not my will anymore. It's not my way anymore. It's all about God. And he surrenders. And the chapter concludes with Nebuchadnezzar turning his face and his heart and his life towards God and beginning to praise him and acknowledge him and say, you are Lord, you are king, you are leader, and I'm going to pursue after you. And that is my prayer here today. No matter what it is that that you're kind of dealing with in your own life, and maybe you're at, at one of those five levels as far as God trying to get your attention I think that the response that is the right response is just to surrender, to just say yes to God. It's not my will. It's not my way. Jesus, it's you. you you're the king, not me. You're in charge, not me. This life, it is not about me. What I have, it is not about me. It is all yours. And we're getting ready to go back into song. But in this moment, my prayer is that somebody today will make the decision to do just like what King Nebuchadnezzar did. And that was surrender. To surrender to Jesus. And whether it's for the first time or the first time in a long time, you're basically getting your attention back to where it needs to be. Come on, will you lift your hands with me? Will you bow your head? Will you close your eyes? And can we just pray together right now? Can we just make some commitments right now towards growth, towards turning back to God, towards surrender? 
come on, will you just think about where you are and think about how God's trying to work and move in your life. Will you respond today? Will you, like King Nebuchadnezzar, maybe you feel like you're far, so far away from God as you possibly can be. I pray that this is a testimony of how good God is. You are never too far from him. There's always a way to get close to him, and that is through surrender. Father, I just thank you today for your goodness and your grace. I thank you today, Lord, that you are trying to get our attention. I thank you today that you are doing whatever it takes to bring us near to you. And so, God, I just pray right now each and every person would, for the first time or the first time in a long time, make you their Lord and leader and just say yes to you, to surrender to you and say, I'm all about you, God. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me, clean me, make me a new person. Lord, I'll follow you all the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen.